Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture seeking to become more like Christ. These teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at house church. We're glad you're listening. Wow. In some ways, this is the first time I've been out of my little closet or my house that isn't to go to the grocery store. And it's such a pleasure to see you all in person. Luke, in his gospel, has Jesus saying to his disciples on the night he was betrayed as they gathered for a meal, saying, You have no idea how I have yearned to share this meal with you. We started in Revelation. And when I came through the door... Doug said to me, isn't it funny how the bigger and farther we can see out, of, out into space, how it seems the smaller and smaller our God has become. And then he read off some stories that he'd been reading. And yet here we are thinking about revelation and how worthy is the Lamb. Easter is this sort of special time and the Celtic Christians in Ireland and Scotland, that's the very early Celtic Christians, they would talk about there being thin space, a time when God felt really close. And I feel that that is today, this Easter Easter is a time when we see God the Father looking at his Son lovingly. We see the Son looking at the Father, saying, not my will, but thine be done. And we see the Spirit. Well, we don't see the Spirit, but we know he's interweaving all over the place, making things happen and surprising everybody. So this, morning, this evening, this afternoon, as we gather together, I don't want to necessarily give a teaching or have you think of it as a teaching, but more a meditation, a chance for us to sit and be present with God, be taken into stories and into words and have Goosebumps. I loved how Tim and Emily talked about she felt a tingling in her hand. And I don't know if you've done it, but when you lift your hand to pray blessing on people, blessing, blessed, blessed. I remember the first time I did it in church and it was like my hand was on fire as I realized I was intentional on raising God's presence 
amongst the people to receive a blessing. So let us pause now in quietude. Let us think and pray and feel and ask for the ministry of the Trinity to be with us. Because as Revelation finishes, it says, the Spirit and the Bride, that is Jesus, says, come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and light. So let us pause in stillness, closing our eyes, lifting up our hands, whatever. When he had finished, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? I actually don't think Jesus said it that way. Do you understand what I have done for you? Jesus asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, and no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Can you hear the Spirit moving from Jesus' lips, his words, his blessed I just couldn't resist having Tim's presence with us in a slide. Tim often does the children's talks and his people look just like this. Interesting, eh? I've grown to that age of uh, biblical proportions and so my wife thought she would... uh, get all my family together, my brothers and sister, and then all of our children, and we would all meet up in the westernish part of America. 
And so we found ourselves close to the Grand Canyon and we parked our car and Claudia and I and my brother and his wife, we travelled to the north side of the Grand Canyon, which is very uh, poorly attended, fortunately. There were 20 people in our very tiny campsite and it took two hours on a four-wheel drive, long wheelbase truck, which the driver explained to us that could get us over the rough ground to where we parked. And he said, okay, we'll go out and we'll be cooking dinner for you, but we want you to just go and look around and see where you might want to take pictures of sunset and pictures of the sunrise. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, and I hope that one day you might be able to go there. But um, in that picture, you can see my wife, and just behind, well, in front of her, you can see that little stream. Well, that is the river that flows through the Grand Canyon. And uh, you can see some people really wanted to get there first, so they put their uh, tripod marking the spot. This is my spot, so don't move me. And uh, I thought, well, that's a really interesting thing of uh, how we always want to be first. We always want to win and get there first. And here is this picture. So the guide said, well, you might want to come and have a look over the edge. Great, Dennis. Great, we're going to look over the edge, full of confidence. And he said, well, actually, as we get close, you might want to get down on all fours and crawl. And just as we came and we got to this far, and our noses went over the corner, we looked straight down 3,000 feet into the river below. And we could just about perceive the little boats that come down carrying 40 people. And it's like the heart jumps out of my gut into my mouth and you're swallowing because all of a sudden fear comes to you. Uh, and it, you know, I was going to exemplify it. it. You know, I wanted someone to stand or sit on my ankles so that I wouldn't tip over. But only my eyes were over it because it was so scary. There was a sense of fear, anticipated fear of what could and was going to happen. These past couple of weeks, we have had friends who have gone to the ER because they were having trouble breathing. And they said, yes, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I'm suffocating. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that lack of oxygen or that lack of being in an enclosed space and your heart starts to pump and you feel it in your head and your ears and the feeling of fear is right there because you are existentially feeling it. Anticipated fear and realized fear. And thinking through this Lenticost that we've had, the horror of Jesus' suffering has brought me to tears many times. The fear that the disciples might have had spoke to me. Horror of Jesus' suffering. Fear of the disciples. Actually, it was for Jesus' family, for Jesus' friends, and Jesus' disciples. Not only Holy Week, not only Good Friday, not only Sabbath, the Sabbath, but also 
Easter day, which we think of so wonderful, and sing and shout, up from the grave he arose, were times of fear and sorrow and anger. And if only we hadn't come to Jerusalem, if only he hadn't gone out, if only this hadn't all happened, we'd all be safe and secure. Mark, in his gospel, tries to give us that intensity because Mark is like that. He's full of action. And Jesus this and Jesus that. Jesus is always going from one thing to the next. And then it finishes up with the words, and the women left because they were afraid and they didn't know what to say. They didn't say anything to anybody. Fear was around the disciples. It was anticipated. It was realized. It was causing them to feel suffocated. They were not in a good place. It's interesting that it is the women who are around the cross at Jesus' death. It's the women who get up early after the Sabbath to take scent and incense and spices to protect the body and to wrap it. It's the women who see the empty tomb and it's the women who then go and tell to the disciples and the men say, oh, it was the women. You can't trust what they were saying. Probably it was a ghost or something. And there was fear and horror and frightening on that first Easter day. Anger, grief, hope lost. You can imagine the evil one saying, well, is God really God? Did God really promise these things? Was Jesus real? Did he really heal people? Because the evil one, just like in the beginning temptations, he tries to steal our dreams and steal our hope and make us doubt that God even exists. So what do we find the disciples and the men and the women, what would they be thinking about? I think they would be going back in their minds to when they first started to know Jesus. Because they loved him. Because he had loved them. And shown it with his compassion and his mercy. They'd been amazed at his teaching. But above all, they had trusted him. And he was their friend. We find in Luke's gospel, two of them, that's how it describes them, two of them on the road to Emmaus. Now, I believe it was Mr. Clopas and Mrs. Clopas. So instead of being two men disciples, it just says two of them, and we can cotton on that this Mary was at the cross, and this Mary was going to the tomb, and it probably was Clopas and his wife, who was also called Mary, that are going up to Emmaus. 
maybe arguing amongst themselves, angry, just bewildered. And this stranger comes alongside, the stranger listens, and then he asks a question, and then he listens to their answer again. And then he explains the scriptures. Who, what, how. He traces the story of God and finds them guiding people through the prophets and through the law. Interesting, you see, he came alongside and encourages them to think, well, what happened in your past? What do you know? And then he begins to explain those things. I wonder what teachings you remember from this past year. Uh, anyone want to shout out anything that they can remember that was taught? Super Bloom. Super Bloom. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember that one. Crocuses, right? Anything from a bit farther back? strength, that's it, yes. You've got to pull your mask down and yell. There you go. Anything else? Well, for me, we were driving in a car in the middle of nowhere and my wife got out her phone and banged some numbers in and up came Aubrey speaking as we streamed her doing the teaching on who? Ruth. Yes, Ruth. She was some nobody, a Moabitess, not even a Jew, a migrant, someone who really didn't belong, and yet she had this relationship with her mother, Naomi, or her mother-in-law, Naomi, and through that love, through that trust, they came together. This person who knew another person, And really is that important? Now I have to look to see if you can see it. You see, Matthew, which is where the Beatitudes are, has us look at a genealogy, which Mark doesn't do. And can you see, a nation beget Salmon, and Salmon had Boaz, and his mother was Rahab. Don't talk about her, please. Uh, Boaz had Obed, and Ruth was his mother, and Obi had Jesse, and Jesse had David, and David became the king. These sort of nobodies were playing a really important part because people really matter to God. And so that story of Ruth is just a story in the Old Testament, but as Luke traces Jesus' heritage and his identity, It takes us to Boaz had Obed by Ruth. For me, that's exciting because, you see, Scripture then begins to be this huge tapestry of small stories written over several thousands of years. And it's all put together with loving relationships. 
Now, I can hear Ben saying, boy, look, Dennis, look at the time. Uh, you haven't even got to the Beatitudes yet, and that's meant to be the focus. I'm sorry. Sorry, Matt. I'm, so, I'm, 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 I'm getting flustered. So Matthew gives this genealogy. And then he gives us two birth stories to make sure we know who Jesus is, that he had feet permanently planted on the ground. He walked this earth. He walked where I walked. Jesus was real in time and history. So we have the identity of Jesus settled. He was real. He was this person. He calls the disciples in the next chapter. And then the chapter after that, we come to these Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes and the Blesseds. Now, when I was a kid, my grandmother used to call me, Dennis, you're a blessed nuisance. And (laughs) I never wondered what the meaning of blessed was, but I knew it belonged to nuisance. (laughs) And blessed is this very difficult word. Because it's past, it's present, and it's future. It's almost like a state of being happy. A state of being fortunate. We are blessed in the past, we are blessed today, and we are blessed in the future. And so today we are looking at the two blesseds that come in the middle of the all the other blesseds, or is it blessed? And those two are, if you just bear with me, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, if you have a Bible like this, it's got all sorts of stuff in it that doesn't fit on my phone, which I tend to use for reading. But in it, if one of these type of Bibles, it might say, hey, you want to learn a bit more? Turn to Psalm 85. And so Matthew, as he's writing this, knows what Jesus knows as Jesus talks on these blesseds. This is how Psalm 85 goes. Oh God, you have showed favour to your people. Please restore our fortunes. Forgive us our iniquity. Cover our sins. Set aside your wrath. Turn away your fierce anger. Restore it to us again to where we should be. Put away your displeasure. Don't be angry for us. Instead, revive us. Show us your unfailing love. We will listen to what the Lord God says, to his promises. Surely his salvation is close to them who fear him, that his glory may dwell amongst us. And here's the crux. Love and faithfulness meet together. Ben and Doug talked about this chiasma, which is like an, an X or whatever. 
and those blesseds come together and it's really planting us here in this psalm. Love and faithfulness meet together. And I love this. Righteousness and peace kiss each other while faithfulness, like the crocus, springs up from the earth and righteousness looks down. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Where is our righteousness? Where is our peace? While we were out in the Grand Canyon, we, we were stuck on camp beds and we decided we would sleep outside so that we would be able to stare straight up at the sky waiting for the moon to go down so that we could just count some of the stars. And all the time I was thinking, just a couple of hundred yards away is that cliff. Am I going to wake up and fall over? There was this sense of wonder looking up and panic looking down. But with God, there is faithfulness coming from below and righteousness coming down from above. You see, the Christian God isn't like an Islamic God or even the traditional or uh, familiar way that Jews see God. The Christian God is not one of many gods like in the Buddhist pantheon which my wife and I have experienced people taking statues of gods to their house to put incense to pray, McDonald's putting out hamburgers for God to eat just in case he was hungry, praying to dogs, praying to all sorts of things. Please, will you help us? Because the darkness of fear of death or of nighttime and ghosts and ancestors was ever present. But our God is a God who is in community, is Trinity. And I'd like to carry on teaching you on that or chatting about it because Trinity, I have yet to fully understand it. But the more I see, the more I see the community of not a monad, not a duo. God couldn't be two gods because you know what he'd end up like? My wife and I or Trump versus Biden, yelling at each other. You need a third to come in and enable conversation and enable community. It's brilliant. And the brilliance of it all is that the God isn't the one who comes and takes up the position and says, this is my spot, I'm going to take a picture here. He's not the God that says, you're guilty, you're guilty, Oh, I've just changed the rules because a single entity can just do whatever he wants. But it is this community, these three persons. And so the disciples in their bewilderment and their confusion are encouraged because Jesus comes alongside and reminds them that this God of love is a community of action. The community 
of the dying one. Not Zeus or Hercules or one of these warrior gods, but the one who dies for us. And the God is this spirit which is at work speaking to us even now. In a moment, oh, what time is it? Oh, Ben, we're going over time. Help, what t- it's, yeah, boy. Soon, Lindsay will be remembering the Lord's Supper, guiding us through it together as a communion, as a community. Now, I've heard some people say about gatherings, I can't stand them when they're in the afternoon. It's so inconvenient. I wish they were in the morning. Well, let me tell you something. God has been anticipating that you and I would be here today. Today. Even at this time. Because serendipitously, really, we will leave at almost the exact time as those two, whatever they were, two of them left the darkened room and the despair and the hopelessness of the first Easter day. Miserable, angry, sad, not knowing which way to go. They left, went out the room, and then they wandered. And Jesus met them on the way, listened asked open-ended questions and then shared with them from the prophets, from Moses, all the way through, Ruth and Boaz and Obed and all those other names until they stopped and went for dinner. And it was as Jesus broke the bread they realized who he was. Now for them, it was the spirit at work in that serendipitous moment after receiving an inf- inf- after giving an invitation for the Jesus to come and have a meal, and they sat with them, and when he broke the bread, they realised who it was: the living, righteous Messiah, who brings peace and righteousness like a kiss, faithfulness bubbling up from the ground. Goodness knows what, coming from above with all those stars. We receive his mercy, his goodness, and his kiss. The bride and the spirit are saying, come, come to the table. Before, when they left Jerusalem and as they went, it was all about me. I am so discerned. I'm discombobulated, I'm, I'm worried, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm all these things. Woe is me, poor me, ah, oh, poor me, I am so. When they saw Jesus, their instant reaction was, let's go and share this good news with others. From self-centered, worried, panic-stricken, to hopeful, hope restored, because they knew where Jesus had come from, what he had died for, and the hope they had for the future. Resurrection was not happy. It wasn't a happy day 
when it started for the family, for the friends, for the disciples. They just found empty tomb and even more hopelessness. It was only when they shared in the meal that their heads blew off and they couldn't wait to share the excitement of a risen Lord Jesus. Let's continue in worship and anticipation of stepping outside to meet with Jesus in this very existential, real way of the body and blood of Christ with these things. Yeah, they're real. And Jesus is real for us this day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.